And so this morning we're in Job chapter 22, Job 22. One of my favorite books, of course, there's a lot of confounding and confusing things in some ways, and we can argue and debate, if you will, and process and doubt and question, and there's just a lot, of, there's a lot in the book of Job. And the more that you read it, uh, the more you can mine out of it, just like all of Scripture, amen? For those of you who know the riches that are contained in the Word of God, and we're in Job 22. And... You know, I, I think about Job and all that he went through, and I could recite to you his whole story, but how he lost everything. He's, that's, let's just summarize it. He lost everything. And then you throw in this, this truth because God allowed it. And that's where we start to kind of go, I don't, I don't know. That kind of God? Like, would God do that? And come on, you've been there. I know if I've been there, you've been there. And, and we think about those things, and, we, and, and we, we wrestle and we struggle. But it was something that there is so much, even in the first chapter or two, again, to pull out and to understand and to see how beautiful, how powerful God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign, He's in control, and He's all-powerful. And that there was no permission by Satan If he didn't come, he had to get it from God himself to do anything in the first place. That's an almighty God, just to remind you and to point out. As difficult as it may be in our humanity and our little puny, finite minds to grasp how this could all be, God is still God and he's in control and all-powerful. And that's something that is evident throughout the book of Job, throughout Scripture, but in Job. And Job acknowledges as much at many points In the book, and especially at the end, after everything that he's been through. Now, Job, he had these great friends, if you remember, the three friends. I can't even, you know. And they would would come to him constantly trying to, to help him get right so that things would, the tide would turn with the events in his life and with all the things that have happened. And so that things could, he could be restored and be right with God. And they had all kinds of suggestions and they had all kinds of comments and commentaries and his friend Eliphaz was one of them and prior to chapter 22 he already had two as we would call them arguments or cases for to make before Job and say this is what you've got to do this is who you are but you've got to be this and he was making all kinds of statements about Job and Job was in fact called a fool he was called a sinner even he was called that by his own friends and He was called a lot of things, and I encourage you to go back and read before chapter 22 in Job, the things that he was called. Now, one of the dangers that we can can do, and of course, I don't think I'm doing that this morning, is we can can very easily present something and apply something and, and, and share something out of context. And when we get to chapter 22, Eliphaz is actually talking to Job, and he has transitioned from calling him names to actually accusing him of some crazy things that were not Job at all, and Job was not actually, in reality, guilty of. They shouldn't have been directed there. But his friends, in their effort, and especially Eliphaz, here he goes. He's making these specific accusations, and I'm not going to go through them, but in your Bible, if you have them or in your app, you can see in verse 5 through 17, he makes some of those specific accusations. And things like, 
You don't know God at all. But he's even more than inferring. He's really saying that there. You're not helping the poor. Because Job was wealthy at one point until God took everything away. And it was all false and undeserved. And this is where, where we can get in a little bit of trouble because even when Eliphaz starts to speak to Job, he's, he's saying, here's the beauty about this, how God can use even the things that are with a wrong motivation, wrong suppositions and presuppositions, but there's still wisdom found in there. And this is where, I don't believe we're taking out of context, but it can still apply to us. And when you read what he has to say, it, it can apply to somebody who doesn't know God at all, ultimately. But even if you do know God, there, is a, there are lessons and there are wisdom there for us that we should take to heart and really take to heart this morning and always. And still, as I mentioned, somehow, God, because he's awesome, God, because he's in control, he takes and out of Eliphaz, there's good counsel, not just for Job, who doesn't really need it, these specific things, but for all of us, too, that we can apply and they're again, they're built on false suppositions that he was a wicked man and a stranger to God, but there's, that's not true. And I want to encourage you to take some lessons this morning from, from Eliphaz and, and, and for myself to do the same thing. Here's the first thing that you should notice because Eliphaz, as he's, a, he's made statements and now he's accusing Job, and then he, he makes in verse, in verse 21, he starts to say something that we've got to take to heart. But listen, before I get there, Something that's really important for me and for you and for all of us to take to heart and to learn and to live out in our lives is this. is that we need to be careful. Let me just take that back for a second. I need to be careful with the words that I say. How I respond and the assumptions that I have or that I can make about people or towards people. It's a good lesson for all of us. We, we might say, well, I'm soft-spoken, I don't say as much. I'm going to tell you something. There's something called social media which brings out the worst in every single person. One way or another. It might not be like this. But it comes out. Be careful. I need, be careful with the words that we use. Eliphaz was not careful. He was right in the greater picture of humanity without God, for example, and applied to somebody who is an outright sinner and totally separate from God. Job wasn't that candidate. Job wasn't that person. But there's still something for us to learn. And we can already learn. Be careful what we say, how we say it, who we say it to, because of what we assume about someone. And even if we know something about someone, how we say it. There is wisdom in what he says. Let's read in verse 21 and just follow along. Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. And I don't know what translation you have, but you might have in your, in your, in your Bible, in verse 21, it might say yield. It might say, acquaint yourself with God. You might find a dozen different words that start off verse 21, depending on your translation. And you know what? It's actually a travesty, but it's actually a beautiful thing as well. And let me explain why. There are so many differences. The Hebrew word there 
I mean, I'm sorry, acquaint yourself that is there. When it is transliterated into English, the translators have so much difficulty and you must find so many different words or a variety of words, several of them, that start that verse off, that phrase. But all of them, but all of them in that verse, you will find at least, generally speaking, either whether it's acquaint yourself with God, yield to God or submit to God, and be at peace with Him. Be in harmony. They all end the same way. And what the reason for that is, is because the idea in that word that you might have acquaint or yield is that, listen, you might even have your translation, it's this, stop quarreling, stop fighting against God. Stop fighting against God. Be in relationship with Him. Get to know Him. And you can't do it unless you are in relationship with Him. And you're communicating with Him. So yield and submit. Stop arguing. And I prefer the stop arguing or quarreling. You know why? Because that is something that is a trademark and it is, it's a mark of humanity from the beginning. To argue or to quarrel with God and to resist that relationship that He wants. And we don't want to acquaint ourselves because we think His ways are not as good as ours. Or that we're at least equal to God to some degree. In fact, that was one of the first deceptions. In the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, where it all started, where God creates humanity... There is an argument that opposes, that, 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 that surfaces, I should say. God said this. It's not documented in Genesis, but I'm paraphrasing, and God basically said this. Adam and Eve, everything is perfect. Do anything you please. Just don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good of evil and evil. And also do this, X, Y, Z, gives them jobs, and so on and so forth. Then not long after that, there's this argument that comes in because something was whispered in Eve's ear. And now the argument in their heart and with God is this. God, you didn't really mean that. I mean, if you're good, you wouldn't withhold that. I mean, we have everything else already. God, there's no way. And did you really mean that? Come on. You're a good God. You want us to have all the pleasures and all the knowledge and everything. You want us to have it all, don't you? There was an argument that started right there. Listen, as I'm, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, it's, in, it's, in, it's implied, and I think pretty clearly in Scripture, they were to bring a sacrifice to God. There were expectations. We can, we can pull that out of Scripture. We understand that. And, of course, Abel brings the proper sacrifice. Cain doesn't. Oh, he brings the sacrifice of all his produce. And he worked hard, and he gets it all together. But Abel brought... That, that livestock, that land, he brought that sacrifice that was what God wanted to satisfy him and to please him and to glorify and worship him in the proper way with the proper sacrifice. And of course, Cain says, but God, this sacrifice is good enough. How dare you not accept it, God? I worked hard for crying out loud and I give it all to you now. Let me take it out on Abel. See where this is all going? You see where this is all going? All these things that are going on. We start arguing with God, not taking Him at His word. And we're arguing with what He has declared as reality, as truth. And we're arguing and saying, no, I can do it better. No, my way is better. It's not... Do you remember Moses? I'm just going through. Because this is universe, This is from the beginning. And I'm skipping a lot of things. Moses, he didn't argue with God. Right? He didn't argue with God. 
I mean, Moses, God comes to him in a burning bush. That would blow me away right off the bat, right? And saying, God is saying, Moses, you're the deliverer. That's a quick summation of the whole conversation. You're the guy. What? Well, but God, but God, wait a minute. Listen, I got an argument against that, God. I got an argument. God, I'm incapable. Do you know who you're talking to? Oh, by the way, what am I supposed to say? Oh, you know what? You still think I'm delivering? You're gonna, I'm a nobody with no authority. Who's going to listen to me? God, no way. Listen, let me tell you something. You don't know. You're, you're telling me I'm going to be deliverer of your people? I can't even speak. I mean, I'm a klutz with my words and with my speech. It's not eloquent. I, I'm, I'm all over the place. I sound like Pastor Bob for crying out loud. And he says, God, do you realize after all this, listen, just send someone else to our better people. God already said something. And Moses is arguing with God. He didn't get out of it, thank God. But he's, he's arguing with By the way, you don't win an argument with God, okay? What about the Hebrew people in the desert? Does it come to mind with you, if you're a believer and if you know the word of God, doesn't it come to your mind right now? You can think of all the arguments they had, not only with Moses, but with God and against God. The arguing and the fighting with God and saying, God, you said this, but it's not good enough. God, you gave that, but that's not enough. God, you arguing, arguing, arguing. We want this. We want it better. It was better in Egypt. Manna, oh man, I, I want pumpernickel. I mean, come on, forget it. You know, pheasant? I don't want pheasant. I mean, I want turkey. Forget that. Then you move on in their history. And they're going along, and God, has, is, he is their king, he's their lord, he's their master, he's their ruler. They're following, they're his people, they're chosen by him. And then there comes, God says, I'm your lord, I'm your king, I'm your God. I am Jehovah, the covenant God through Abraham and the patriarchs. And then there comes a point in time, and they, have, they argue with God, and what do they say? We want a king! We want to be like all the other nations. Oh, what an argument. Oh, and they argued. They got what they want. They got what they wanted. Because God was still in control. God knew what was going on. But they argued with God. And God said, are you kidding me? You don't understand what's going to happen when you have a king. Oh, boy, and did much happen. That's a whole other, whole other sermon, right? Then through the prophets... I don't have time to go through because that's not the point here, but to reinforce the idea that arguing with God has been there from the beginning and coming opposed to God because of sin and the sin nature and the prophets over and over to God's people came. You can read from the minor to the, ma- the major to the minor prophets. You read them. They came and they basically, God said this, get right because you're wrong. Get right because you're wrong. That's just my quick paraphrase. That was, what he, that was what he said. He knows everything. He sees it all. He's been mistreated. They've been unfaithful. They've, they're worshiping other gods. God's offended. So on and so forth. You know the story. And in Jeremiah, I'll give you one argument. There are so many arguments they had. In Jeremiah chapter 7, listen to this argument. They argued this. Jeremiah's telling them, you're going to go into captivity if you don't shape up. And they said, are you kidding me? We have the temple. God would not dare destroy us and the temple and our city. There's no way. And then what happened? Gone. They're arguing with God. You don't win arguments with God. God knows what's best for you. Do it. I got to do it. There's so many things. 
Here's some other arguments. I'll fast forward. I mean, all the arguments the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the religious leaders had. And even people Jesus called, they had arguments and excuses. They were arguing with Jesus, the ultimate authority, God himself arguing with him and coming in opposition to him. Yeah, let's fast forward. Because there's so much to be said about arguments. But I, God said, marriage is between a man and a woman by design and for a purpose. But God, love is love. I'm not going to add to the argument because I don't want to get in trouble. I'm not afraid of that. Love is love. Who cares? No, marriage is between a man and a woman because it's by design and for a purpose. God said, I created humans as male and female only. But God... You made a mistake, and I think I'm not either of those. I don't say that as a joke or to ridicule or mock. But it is almost laughable because of how far we've gone in arguing against God and what He has said. And we need to be careful because as Christians on the outside, we got, there's a fine line between us loving the people that God died for and we don't know who they are. That even if they are, had these arguments, He died for us, but they had these arguments and they lived this way and they justified their behavior like we once used to without God. And listen, there's a fine line between loving them and being complicit in their argument and excuses to justify their sinful living. There's a fine line. God, help us to not cross it. We will answer. We argue and we say to God, God, but I was born this way. You can fill in the blanks. The culture says, everybody does it. God says, I've named all the sins. Not the matters of conscience, but I've named all the sins clearly in my word and you're telling me but the culture says it's okay and we live in a different world now we argue against god and i'm sorry i'm going back i was born this way right and what what does what does god say in response because god says listen you must be born again that's why you have to be born again because you were born that way but you've got to be born again god says All humans are created equal in the image of God and are equal in dignity and worth to God. All of them. And we say and argue, we will choose which lives are more important, when and for what purposes. And we align with those arguments sometimes, even unknowingly or in a way that seems so harmless. You don't have the right to choose who, when, and why, and why, for whatever purposes, someone is more valuable in any way, shape, or form at any time because all humans, and God has said it and we believe it, are created equal and with equal dignity and worth before God and in His image. That doesn't mean sin doesn't exist. And can I just say it? Sin sucks. I dare, I said it. It does. It's horrible. God said, be faithful to my body. If you're in it, be faithful to my body. Well, God, but listen, you know, I'm still spiritually connected to believers, you know. I, I pop online once in a while, you know. I see my brother once a year. Yeah, I shoot him a text. I think about him, you know, every six months and pray for him, whatever. God says, be faithful to your body. 
He says, listen, how else are you going to exercise your gifts? How else are you going to use your gifts? But God, uh, I don't have any gifts. Uh, no, uh, I think I told you in 1 Corinthians 12 that you all have a gift and the Spirit gives you one. We say that God is so, so narrow-minded, the argument, and, 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 and because, because he, he only wants us to go through Jesus to get to Him and to find salvation. And, and, and no one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said in John 14. But that's so exclusive, and I think it's so intolerant of the many ways that someone can come to God. You can come through many ways, but you have to go through Jesus, period. Amen. We all have our own ways, and God says, yeah, but they all lead to nothing. And the end is no good. Listen, don't focus on information about God, but acquaint yourself with God. Stop resisting God. Stop fighting against Him. Christians are experts at this. They know how to do this because they'll even use God's own words and try to use God's own words against Him. Stop resisting God. Just yield to Him. Surrender. Give it all up to Him. Don't argue with Him anymore. Arguing gets you nowhere. It gets you fired up and gets you more entrenched, doesn't it? Just yield, submit to God. And the way you do that is you acquaint. You get to know Him you got to come close. You know, the prophet Amos in chapter 3 and verse 3, and you can read the context on your own, but he made a statement. He said, can two people walk together? It's a rhetorical question. Can two people walk together unless they are in agreement? How many times have you had your kid? You have a family of four, and the three of you are all psyched to go on a hike, and the one kid's like, I don't want to go on a hike. I don't want to, my legs get tired. I don't want to go on a hike. It's, it's too long. It's too hot. And, and, and you, you're not in agreement. And when you go, you might love hiking. But because of one of that person, one person, it's miserable. You're not in agreement. That's how it is with God. You've got to come and agree with Him and be in agreement with, with, with who He is, His character, and who you are. That is so opposite of God who is holy and you are so unholy. You've got to have correct knowledge of His true character. You've got to be reconciled to Him. And there's problems. There are problems with getting acquainted to God. And it's this. It's that we have this view that God is so harsh, that He's stern, He's tyrannical, He's a jerk, and He's just this unjust judge, and He's so severe. And then secondly, we have this problem of getting to know God because we oppose His holy character because we're so unholy and imperfect and want to do our our own thing all the time. And it's hard to get to know God because of those things. So just yield. Give it up. Surrender it. Stop arguing. Stop fighting. And listen, you are as close, this has been said here at New Hope many times throughout the years, you are as close to God as you choose to be. You can get as acquainted to God as you want to. You can submit to God as deeply or as much as you want to, and you're able and you're willing to. Hide his words in his heart. Listen, submit to God and be at peace with him. You will not be at peace. Sin always causes hostilities. Paul says in Romans that without Christ, we are his enemies. We're hostile to him. Our mind, the carnal mind, without, without God changing our minds and hearts and regenerating us and becoming new creations, we are enemies of God. It's a strong word, but it's the truth. Stop resisting God, especially if you're a Christian. There's counsel there for us. Submit to God and be at peace with him. I'm not saying it's a formula. If things are going bad in your life, 
that you're not submitting to God. But it might be. I don't know. And it says, in this way, prosperity will come to you. The second half of verse 21. Get acquainted with God. Dwell, become familiar with God. Live with Him. And, it, and listen, you're gonna, when you do that, it's going to be incredible what happens in your life when you get to know God. Because as, as Eliphaz says to Job, good will come. It implies this prosperity. Because in that culture, before Jesus' work on the cross, that was the way to measure success and favor. Remember how much Job had? Then he lost it all. Does that mean he had no favor of God anymore? The favor of God was gone? That was juxtaposed to their view and understanding of God, as well as to their understanding that the wicked get get punished right away. So Job must be wicked. That's part of the pride of the mentality Eliphaz has. But something different's going on here, and and, and it's trans it's blowing their mind, minds away. Listen, this reality, this, this good that comes to you, this prosperity that comes, it's not just material gain. Think about it. And especially for us after the cross, after Jesus rose again, the good is that we have pardon of sin, that we have peace in our conscience, that we have the assurance that we have all that, that we will ever need and we'll be supported when it's tough. We'll have peace in the midst of death and illness. We'll be raised to new life in Christ after this life on earth is over. And we'll get a crown in heaven. I mean, there's so much good. That's good stuff. That's prosperity. When you yield to God. So, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you submitted to Him as your Lord and Savior? Have you believed on Him? That He is the Son of God? Ah, so much good comes. It didn't say easy comes. Good comes. No one was ever injured by becoming acquainted with God. Oh, maybe physically, like Jacob when he wrestled. Oh, but he knew God, and he was overwhelmed and filled. But listen, you will not be, you've got to take that to heart. Surrender, submit to God. Listen, secondly, in verse, look at verse, look at what Eliphaz says. He says, listen and obey in verse 22. Verse 22, and I'm finding my scripture here. He says, accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. Take God's words to heart. Don't just blow it off. Listen to it. Believe it. Accept it. And apply it in your life. Embrace the truth. Let it influence your feelings and your purpose for life. Don't let your feelings influence your purpose and your life. Let the Word of God influence your feelings and purpose for life. What are you listening to? What am I listening to? We are being shaped by every single thing that we listen to. And the advice here is that if we listen to God's Word, we're better off. We're much better off. We're good. Lay up His words in your heart. Hide them there. Look what else. Look what else he says in verse 23. If you return to the Almighty. Now, Job didn't need to return to God. We understand that. But sometimes we wander as sheep, don't we? If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness from your tent... Remove sin and wrong behavior from your life. Get rid of sin from your life. I can't repeat it over and over again, but your home, your attitude, your relationships, everywhere, you can't do it by yourself. But we have, we have this amazing advocate who can plead our case to the Father. We have God. We have the Holy Spirit. But it requires a change in our behavior. We run to Him. We submit to Him. We let Him make the argument that He paid the price for us. And then He transforms us and we're forgiven and washed clean. And we move it away far from our tent. Get sin as far away from your life as you can because nothing good ever comes 
with sin and from sin. It doesn't. That's why we still argue. Remove sin and wrong behavior, he says. In verse, 20, in, in verse 24, and if you assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir to the rocks and the ravines. He actually transitions here, Eliphaz, and he says something that we were moving into this area now that when we yield, we get to know to God, we submit to Him, there are beautiful results and benefits, blessings to submitting to God. Because verse 25 says that if we take what we, we treasure, he says then the Almighty God will be your gold. He'll be the choicest Silver for you. We sang that at the end. Lord, you are more precious. Really? And we hold on to certain things. It could even just be an ideology. It could be a material thing. It could be a person. We hold on. We treasure so much. And we're listening to that thing. And it's influencing our life because it's priority. And it's speaking and speaking. And we're following and we're following. It's amazing because we also sang, and I wrote it down, we also sang, when you speak, I will listen. And then where you lead, I'll go. Sorry, wrong key, whatever it was. But you got the word, right? We're singing these things. When you speak, I'll listen. But we argue with God. We don't treasure his heart. And we, we, we treasure other people's words. God will be your treasure when you get to know him. And when you submit to him and you move sin far away from your life and you value his words and he will be that invaluable source of happiness and you'll have more than you ever imagined. What else do you get in verse 26? Look in verse 26. He says, Surely then you will find delight in the Almighty and will lift up your face to God. Can I just summarize it this way? You will then take pleasure in God's existence and his relationship to you and with you. Your head will be lifted up and you'll be confident, not cocky, but you'll be confident and assured to know him and that you do know him, that he's with you, that his word is true and that it'll help you to believe it and not fight against him and oppose him at every turn in your life. You'll have joy. And not only that, but in verse 27, Eliphaz says you will pray to him and he will hear you and you will fulfill your vows. What you decide on will be done and light will shine on your ways. No, I'm not here to tell you that part of the prosperity gospel that's out there that you could tell God what to do. You can decree things. That's not where I'm going with this. I'm going to speak it. It's going to happen. I'm not, I'm not going there. That's not what, what's, what I'm saying. The whole point is you will be heard by God. Why? Because you are so close to him, you're so acquainted, you're so connected, you're so submitted to him that you understand and you know his will all the more clearly. And we need to keep understanding and knowing His will even more clearly as we go through our lives. And then when we pray and we ask, our prayers get answered because they line up with God's will and what is mine is mind. Your prayers will be answered. You will be heard. That's an awesome thing. It's an amazing benefit of yielding to God and not arguing against what He said and who He is. And then verse 28 to 30. What you decide on will be done, and light will shine on your ways. When men are brought low and you say, lift them up, then he will save the downcast. He will deliver even one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. Can I just paraphrase this this way? God is going to work through you. That's the point. 
If you're yielded to God and you don't argue with him and you're submitted, you're hiding his word in your heart and sin is far from your your tent, your, your dwelling in your heart, and it's out of there and you're taking pleasure in God and he's your priority, God is going to work through you. He hears you. You'll be take pleasure in his presence. He's going to be your treasure, but he's going to work through you. You are agreed with his heart, his mind, his will, his values, his attitudes. You are one with him, even as Jesus prayed that we'd be one with him. And you are aligned with what he wants to do, so he'll do it through you. You will be an effective intercessor, if I could put it that way. God will work through you. He'll use you. You'll be that co-laborer with Christ that is influential and effective in your world. Where are you at today? How's your submission? How's your heart? What are you treasuring? Are you hiding sin in your tent somewhere? Give it up. Take Eliphaz for his word, for face value. Take him at his words. Because it applies to you and to me, to all people. Stop arguing and opposing God. And when you do that, you'll be at peace with him. It's an amazing place to be. It's transformative. And your life will never be the same. And you'll be so much, I don't want to put it this way, but you'll be so much better for it. Stop arguing with God. What are you arguing with God about? I can't go into your brain, your mind. I can't go into your heart, into the deepest part of your heart. But what is it that you're constantly arguing with God about? I don't mean to... If you take this to heart, then then it is you. (laughs) And I'm not pointing you out. I'm not naming anybody, but if it's you. But if you've been a Christian for 40 years, 20 years, 10 years, or a good length of time, and you're still arguing with God about whether this is his word or not, stop arguing. Stop arguing. What, is it, what has it netted you? Nothing but frustration and anger and bitterness. And then it spills out with this this, this vertical relationship with God you have. And now you're arguing with God, carries out to people around you. And all you do is argue about these things with people. And there's no peace. Stop arguing with God. And it just might be that you won't argue with people so much either. Amen? Lord, Take these words of Eliphaz. Use them, Holy Spirit, to confront us at that point that needs the most attention. And you know where that is. Father, I pray that in my heart you would just uh, continue to work deeply and my brothers and sisters and friends here and visitors, God, that you would just convict us and convince us, Lord, to stop arguing with you and to just get acquainted with you, yield, submit, surrender to know you so that we might be at peace with you. And it's all possible because of what Jesus did on the cross and reconciling us to you. Help us to yield control to Jesus who is Lord and Savior. 
Thank you, Lord, for the benefits that we will, Lord, just experience in our lives when we do that. Help us to walk freely, confidently, with joy and peace. And all the while as we do that, sharing it and sowing those seeds of all those things that come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Stop arguing. Don't argue with God. You're not going to win. Amen.